This is Corey Willis with PPI, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, this is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Christian Roth of BD Diesel. I'm Braden Fleece, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with Phil Taylor. He's the owner of Diesel Performance Converters. And we're going to be chatting with him about some new things that they're working on there at the shop with converters and other parts and what they've been up to the last couple months. Before we get to the podcast, though, we want to encourage any of you guys out there that are listening on podcast apps, make sure and subscribe to us on YouTube. We have a ton of information on there that may not make it onto the podcast, like install videos and the comments that are on there are really great. There's a lot of great discussion that happened on these episodes. So if you're looking for more content and you want to hear the episodes first, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. And also, coming up early next week, we're going to have an episode releasing with Cass from Choke Engineering. And we're going to be talking about power stroke engines and a really popular topic, especially with shop owners. And that's when a customer brings in a truck and you're diagnosing what's wrong with an engine, how to go about that process, um, how to check compression, tons of different things that they hear from their dealers and their shop network, and some tips for you guys out there. So we wanted to give you a heads up on that. All right, let's get to the podcast with Phil Taylor and talking about DPC converters. Phil, I'm excited to have you back on the Diesel Podcast. After our last episode, we got to go through different torque converter talk and everything, and Interestingly, I was chatting with Aaron Nick, which the six seven Cummins fans out there definitely gonna remember him when uh, those trucks were just new and he was out there running tens in it. And he said, "If you talk to Phil Taylor, ask him the last common rail that beat him." And so I thought we would we would start off with some racing talk of uh, some racing you've done against Aaron Nick and his old six seven Cummins that he had. Well, actually, I I can think of that's the only time I've ever been out ran by common rail. Of course, we. We got out of racing before they became as successful as they are. I mean, uh, Michael Sullivan had a very fast one that uh, Shy Diesel was working on with him. I mean, he was running oh, mid nines, I suppose, when he quit. You know, we were lower nines. Um, there weren't a whole bunch of common rails out there kicking around in the, the big classes back when we were racing as there are now. Now there's not any mechanical engines out there doing it. You know, the... The mechanical platform is a lot more difficult to tune and deal with. The, the common rail is the, the way to go. They may not necessarily make as much power as, say, Hazley and them can make out of a mechanical engine, but you definitely can't drag race what those guys are making. You know, it's just for it's a one-trick pony to go out there and make big horsepower and pull lots of weight. Well, there's so much investment time and expertise and money as well that the aftermarket's putting into the common rail platform that it just it keeps progressing almost like month to month and definitely through the seasons of the year the kind of power they make and the data that they get back and it's just taking on a life of its own oh it has i mean it's definitely taken over the whole diesel motorsports you know i mean they're so programmable and tunable and clean. I mean, you know, we still go out there and drag race the little half-ton around, and it puts on a smoke show. We try and keep it dialed back a little bit, you know, but with the way everything is headed, they like clean. So um, that's definitely going to be the way to do it. I did want to ask you, I think last time we chatted was right before the pandemic hit. It was earlier in the year. And I wanted to ask you what it's been like at, at DPC and and the things that you know you guys have been able to do to kind of weather the storm and and keep you know converters and products flowing to people and just you know what it's been like for you guys. 
Well, it is, <laughs> there's been a few challenges. When this thing came about, I had enough foresight to see. I called and bought large amounts of components and parts and put in the shop. I mean, we're just stumbling over crates of, of things. Um, we've been able to keep parts and everything in. It's becoming a little bit more challenging to do so now, but we're going to be able to keep it done. Um, as far as our customers and everything go, you know, we've fared pretty well. Uh, I've sat down and analyzed a little bit, and our customers are going to be essential to the majority of them. I mean, you think about it. They're going to be transportation, construction, automotive, uh, you know, just that's our, that's our customers out there. They were deemed essential. They kept going to work every day. They file their income taxes on time just like nothing was going on. Um, they go to the mailbox one day. Santa Claus has dropped them 3500 bucks there. And um, their wife may have got laid off from the local bank or something, and now she's bringing home $900 a week with the payroll assistance thing that they have going on. So, you know, our customers, have I don't think they felt it quite as bad as a lot of other people have. I mean, our customers aren't the ones that live in penthouses in New York and have been placed under house arrest and working cubicles. You know, they're out here yeah. outside working every day and uh, are essential and haven't missed a beat. And it seems like in the, the the diesel industry, it's it's been insulated because I think exactly what you said is, you know, these guys are working construction or pipelines or just essential services where, you know, things have changed with where we can go and how far we have to stand apart. In some places, you got to wear masks and stuff. But other than that, it's just been full steam ahead. And you got to keep the trucks running. Well, exactly, and you know, uh, also, what better time to work on your vehicle when you can't go anywhere? Yeah. I mean, uh, you're going to be sitting at home after, I couldn't imagine these people that's been under house arrest sitting there for three months not able to do anything. I mean, I would go just absolutely insane. I'd be looking for something to work on to do, too. Um, but, I mean, we're like the essential guys we were talking about. We've been up and going to work every day. We haven't missed a beat. Um, actually, I've had to hire another guy. Uh, through all of this stuff so us uh, we've we've fared pretty well i know one of the things here in colorado that was that was big is once things kind of opened up a little bit everyone's wanted to go camping so they want to tow their trailers they just want to get out of town you know and just you know be up in the mountains or, or go somewhere and a lot of our episodes recently and the questions that we've been getting from listeners is about towing setups and i was uh i've been wanting to ask you about stall speeds for towing setups and i know that you guys have some different stall speeds say for the cummins trucks and there's like a 1400 a 1500 and 1800 is if you do have a truck and you're towing with it daily driving how do you know which one of those to to pick or which one's best for kind of an all-around do-it-all kind of truck well we evaluate naturally what's been done to the truck you know i mean turbo size is the biggest thing as far as what the diesel world is concerned about stall speed for. You know, they want to be able to get on top of their turbocharger. Okay, you guys being in Colorado, you've got some of these guys way up a mile high. Uh, the, the torque converter may work great down 800 feet of sea level. Work fantastic in the truck. Everything is great. You get on up top, and the oxygen is thin, and it's just entirely too tight. Mm-hmm. We try to take a profile of the truck, and we just know... You know, the common rail platform, just like we were talking about, has made this much easier because they're so tunable. You can tune a laggy truck into a responsive, great towing machine and never change the torque converter with good proper tuning. Um, but like I said, the, the 
charger size is the main determining factor and, and what you're doing with it. Um, as far as a good all-around stall for a, a, a truck, it would be like our 15-blade industrial stator. I mean, it's, uh, we don't modify it. It's just straight up. It's around a 15, 1600 stall, and uh, it tows very well. It's not obnoxiously tight. It doesn't try and run off and leave you when you pull it in gear. And um, it's, it's a good camper tower set up, uh, you know, especially with a stock turbo or a smaller um, uh, 62 or, you know, some smaller 300 frame charger like that. If it's, say if it's like a stock turbo on a 5.9 common rail or even a 6.7 Cummins and it's got stock VGT, is the 14 to 1500 stall range a, a good kind of all around stall speed for something, you know, running stock? you know, fueling and air, but they might have a tune on it or a program or something like that. Yes, exactly. That's that's what they're, they're for. Of course, the 6.7 moves so much more air that you can really put a tight converter in the 6.7, even with a larger charger on it. Um, the 5.9, like I said, the 1400 one, if you're running stock, or like even smaller chargers, compounds and whatnot, they'll still light them up very easy. And, I mean, it makes a huge difference in the way these trucks move. Um, it moves a lot more fluid. It's got a much better fluid coupling, and it's uh, it's amazing the difference that they'll make in a truck. You'll think that you've had a power upgrade just by putting a good converter with a much better fluid coupling than what they offer from the factory in them. What's really interesting is like I was comparing some of the, the like we get a lot of Instagram questions, and like last year and stuff. A lot of it's about racing. You know, we'll. Uh, when we did your episode, we were talking about racing in the early days and, and someone will message and saying, hey, I'm thinking of building my 12-valve and can you talk about this? And recently it's been more about, um, you know, my, my, my truck stock. I, I got a, you know, an EFI Live Tune on it or a Smarty or something like that. And, you know, I want it to perform a little better when I'm towing it. So the, the type of questions we've gotten are different. And this next one is really interesting because it came in late at night. And I know it's because a guy was working on his transmission. <laughs> I think it was like a Thursday night or something. But it, I think it's probably common and you get it a lot. And it comes like, you know, a guy orders a torque converter, he gets it. And what his question was, was do I need to pre-fill it? Or can I just put it, you know, stab it on the input shaft, install the transmission, turn on the truck and go? Well, you don't have to pre-fill it. I mean, uh, now a Ford is definitely needs to be pre-filled. They pump so much fluid, you can pump those things dry and have a pump problem in just a little bit. But as far as a Dodge, like us, we would always just put it on there, put 10 quarts of fluid in, crank it up, let it circulate a little bit, turn it off, put about four more quarts in, and then crank it up and fill it up the rest of the way. It will fill up through the input shaft stator support area you know it will run out of the transmission into the converter we've gotten converters in it's, it's pretty funny um somebody just absolutely overheat and smoke a torque converter uh, the transmission the whole deal we cut it apart and you can see the line of where the oil was it's just as black as can be and like it's stained from that point down from it just sitting there and then the mm -hmm. top half is you know <laughs> much cleaner so it does fill the converter through the transmission it is not necessary to pre-fill one, but if it makes people feel better, do it. And like I tell all of our customers, they call asking about transmission fluids. I tell them to go with what their builder recommends. You know, with us, it's not really going to make that much difference. And sure, the world, if something bad happens and they use a fluid different than what they normally do because we told them to, it'll be our fault. So we just tell them to run with what their builder tells them to use also. Is it mostly because of the clutch material that's in the clutch packs as to why 
they may change like say from uh, what Dodge specified or what General Motors or Allison specifies is is that really the reason that some builders out there may change the type of fluid to run? Uh, yes, and you know that personal preference, experience. I mean, there's just so many different things. These guys could have had bad experience with the transmission running a certain fluid, and they rebuild it and put a different one in, and then it fixed everything. Um, all transmission fluids are basically the same. They just have different viscosity additives to them. You know, lubricants. It's basically the same beginning formula that they use. Gotcha. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Some of, like I said, you could tell the project somebody's working on, and, and like I said, it's after business hours, and sometimes I can, you know, we've done a podcast or something. I know the answer, but there was a few I got stumped on, so I, I wrote these downs. And after the, you know, pre-filling the converter question, the next was torque converter bolts, and as far as what the torque spec is on them and then he asked do i need to use loctite with them and i wanted to ask you what does dpc converters recommend for your guys's converters we recommend red loctite and torquing them down to 40 foot pounds uh, most people don't put a torque wrench on their converter bolts you know they just stab it in hit it with a little 3 8 impact or whatever but industry standard on a 3 8 24 thread bolt grade 8 is like 37 pounds so we just round it up and tell everybody 40 pounds and, and you're good to go so that's what we do we recommend red loctite it's good to let it sit up um torque them down to 40 pounds and you generally don't have the problem with converter bolts backing out if you ever have converter bolts back out they're going to wallow the bolt holes out in that cover and you're never going to get them to stay in there you make a green lock tight them in or something and then you'd have to grind the bolt heads off probably to get them out but um once it wallows the holes out they, you're not going to get them to stay that's one reason we went to a 12 bolt cover as we saw so much of that stuff so many people starting converter bolts with impact guns you know they're just cross-threading them to begin with so we went to 12 bolts because we wouldn't repair the covers we'd make them buy a new one and then to go along with that, we went to a 12-bolt flex plate to match. So, so uh, you know, you've got an opportunity to mess up a set of bolts in the flex plate and a set of bolt, you know, set of bolt holes in the converter and a set of holes in the flex plate, and still not have to buy another one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because I can I can think of pictures I've seen on on social media where that has happened, and then it's like the, the cover on the converter is destroyed, and probably the flex plate, and now you got to you know, send the converter back and all that sort of stuff. And you know, sometimes people lose instructions and they may not, you know, see, oh, it's 40, you know, 40 pounds and they go too light or too hard and, and stuff like that. But it's one of those, one of those questions that can kind of pop up from time to time and, and, uh, you know, helps people out there if they are, you know, putting a converter in late at night or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you can Google it and find it, you know, just it's industry standard spec on all bolts. You know, it's, it's very easy to find. This next one, I think, I, now I've directly experienced this, and I don't think I was quite prepared for it, is, you know, most of the trucks I had, they had stock transmissions in them. And whenever I went to an upgraded converter, the first thing I noticed was lockup would be firmer. And we're so in tune with our trucks, right? Like, we know what they sound like, how they feel, how the braking is, and you feel something different. You think, oh, is this correct? And I wanted to ask you about lockup feel. And I'm sure it's probably different with an Allison or a Ford or, or a Dodge transmission, but should they feel firmer? Do, do they feel harsh? What what would somebody expect when lockup's commanded, torque converter locks, and someone has had a you know stock converter, stock transmission for 100,000 miles, and now they have an upgraded one? 
but you're definitely going to feel the difference in lockup. I mean, it shouldn't feel like you get rear-ended with a garbage truck when the converter clutch comes on. I mean, that's not healthy at all. But, um, you know, you're, you're definitely going to feel the difference, especially if you're going for, for some single-disc something that's already, you know, burned up anyway. Uh, you know, we get, we get a lot of questions about that, a lot of questions about uh, triple-disc and input shafts. Um, and this, like I tell people when they call and say, well, if I get a triple-disc converter, should I get a billet input shaft? And I'm kind of the school of thought, if you're making enough horsepower to need a triple-disc converter, you need a billet input shaft. However, that input shaft cannot count. It doesn't know how many clutches are in there. It knows how the clutches are applied, and it knows the clutches are not slipping. Now, my father's 80 years old. He's got a Dodge that makes 450 horsepower. Triple-disc converter, stock input shaft, been driving it that way for 15 years. So, you know, it, it can be done. Um, the main thing we can really control in the converter as far as the way it feels is, of course, clutch material and clutch clearance. Um, so much of that is controlled by the valve body, the way it's set up. You can have somebody go in there and drill out the, put three exhaust holes in the lockup exhaust circuit, and, I mean, lockup is going to feel much, much more harsh than it does if you don't put them in there like in a towing situation. So, uh, yes, you're going to feel a, uh, a difference, but, uh, like I say, it should not be overly harsh and concerning. Um, like I say, we try and keep our clutch clearances in there to the point to where, you know, we don't want them too tight, it'll burn up, but we don't want them too loose because then you have that harsh apply. That's really about the only thing we can do is that, and uh, like I say, use dampeners in converters. We use them in all 68s, all Allisons, you know, Dodge, we kind of leave it up to the individual as to whether they want it or not. Those dampeners and the Dodges are designed to work for 900 foot-pounds of torque. These guys, a lot of these guys are killing that, you know, so it's kind of, what's the point? You're going to bottom the dampener out. Um, but we do everything we can to, to keep it toned down. But there's not a heck of a lot. The, the transmission builder can control it more than the converter builder can. Gotcha. Okay, and, that, and that bridges a gap when we were chatting a little bit before the podcast about different converters that you guys offer and, and the warranty that applies to them and the use. And I wanted to to ask you on the podcast about the different ones, like say the single disc and triple disc and the warranty that applies. And then when somebody chooses, you know, which one, which one should I go with? Which one, you know, fits a certain set of needs versus another? Right. Well, we have a two year warranty on our single disc. We call them a reman converter. Uh, it's got an oversized clutch, lower stall, Torrington bearings. You know, we say show the same care in the $495 converters that we do in the $1,300 converters on the fluid side. Um, we offer two different triple discs. One, we started off calling it a reman, and the name is misleading because in the beginning we were selling other people's converters that we would get in as cores and whatnot. We'd refresh them and sell them, and there was a, a good demand for it. So we figured out a way to do a new converter that way. And we, the name reman just stuck with it, but it is actually a new converter. Um, the difference in it is the apply piston. The uh, lifetime warranty one has a billet apply piston. The reman has one that's a, a stamped steel one. And as far as stall speed, you don't get a whole bunch of stall speed choices with the two-year converter. We modify a stock stator. Lifetime converters, we'll put new stators in it, do whatever we need to do to achieve the stall speed that you're asking. Um, we give a two-year warranty on that triple disc that we offer. Then the lifetime converter, of course, you get a lifetime warranty against converter failure. We'll go into that converter one time for you within two years. We will change the stall speed at no charge. 
Okay, say you break an input shaft, we'll go in there, and the only thing it's going to cost you is the parts that the shaft, when it breaks, if we have to put a new turbine hub in it, or if the clutches have a bunch of metal embedded in them and need to be changed out, we just charge you for the parts. Whereas the two-year winter, when you break it and send it in, and you know, you're probably looking at like a $450 rebuild bill on your converter. The the two-year converter, is a, it doesn't need to be in a place where there's extreme line pressure. We're starting to see some people really cranking up these line pressures and some internal problems happening. We're having to add stiffener plates and do everything we can in there because you know, these guys are starting to try and stick 250 PSI line pressure in these things, and that's not healthy. It causes a lot of problems. And uh, the two-year warranty converter, if it's a transmission that's going to be over, say, 180 PSI, you need to get one with a bill of apply piston. And it makes a lot of sense because with the, especially on the common rail side with the tuning and on the newer trucks is how much can be adjusted with the transmission in addition to the engine. And yes, it may make the clutch packs hold a little bit more, but what's that pressure going to do the, you know, to the converter? Uh, we, like I said, we see most of the, most of what we see from extreme pressure is internal. You cannot see it from the outside. The, the impeller doesn't necessarily balloon. Now we get some in that the impeller has ballooned. Um, not a whole bunch with that billet front cover either, you know. But a lot of times it just deforms the internals. It'll just it'll take that turbine and as it tries to apply that clutch, it pushes that turbine up and it'll push it up and around the stator and it'll eventually make contact with the impeller and start making metal and. We all know where that's going to go, and it is from nothing but excessive line pressure. You know, people trying to get things to hold. I mean, way back in the old days when we were drag racing, we were holding 1,500 horsepower with 180 PSI. So, you know, it doesn't take crazy amounts of line pressure to make these things hold. And a lot of times you do more harm than good by trying to crank it up as high as you do. Um, You put it in reverse, your line pressure is doubled. So a lot of times that's when these converters are getting damaged. If they've got 225 PSI, they throw it up in reverse. Go to move it, you've got 450 PSI line pressure, and that's excessive. And that's, that's, that causes damage. You mentioned the, the metal in the, the fluid, which is, you know, is going to damage the, the whole system. And, and you talked with us a little bit about some cool things you guys are working on. And one of them was you know, when your customers come to you, and they say, hey, I need a converter and I need a rebuild kit, is some things you guys are doing on your website to be able to offer more parts for transmissions and be like a, a one-stop shop or a complete solution if somebody has a failure. And I wanted to ask you about you know, which transmission models are you guys supporting and and what kind of parts are people going to be able to get from you guys? We're, we're carrying rebuild kits. We have the full line of everything for the 47, 48 Dodges. Uh, we carry the parts for the 6.7s, I'm sorry, the 68 RFEs. We're carrying shift kits and everything for, for all makes and models. We're a Transgo distributor. Um, we're still working on rebuild kits for the Allison and the Ford. Uh, we can get them, but it's not anything that we're stocking and concentrating on at the moment. I need to get on that. Um, but we've we've got a good, real good rebuild kit that we're offering for the Dodges. And by the end of the year, we'll be stocking Allison's and the full Ford line. Um, we were trying to get some the larger line of billet flex plates until this whole coronavirus thing happened, and it just like I say, it's just put supply chains and R and D and stuff for people all over the world on hold. So uh, 
we're doing the best that we can as far as that goes, but it may take a little longer than what we anticipate, just depending on what we're looking at over the next few months. And on the rebuild kids, they include like gaskets and all those sorts of things that people would, would need to, you know, completely overhaul you know, once they get the transmission out and they get their clutch packs and filters and all that kind of stuff. Yes, it is a complete rebuild kit. It's not just a re-clutch kit. It is bushing seals, um, clutches, filter. Uh, of course, we offer the billet small parts kit, all of the different shafts, a couple of different flex plates for the 48, 47, and 68. Um, like I said, we have a complete line of everything for for the Dodge transmissions. I haven't been seeing a lot of the new 10-speed stuff breaking yet. I think just because it's still relatively new and and you know they're under factory warranty and people are just you know driving them and getting used to them and stuff. But I know eventually there's going to be a demand for you know a 10-speed Allison or 10-speed Ford. You know that people are going to need some upgraded parts for. Is that something that you guys have on? on the list of things to look at here in the future with, you know, what can we do with the converter, the flex plate, and different internal parts? Yes, it's definitely on the on the radar to be dealt with. Uh, we just have to get our hands on one and get, so I'm, I would imagine it's probably the same concept and everything is the 6R140. So, I mean, we've already got a handle on that thing, so I imagine a lot of that will just probably move over to that. But I don't know. I haven't seen one. Um, and, you know, another thing is, is what kind of power are people going to make with these trucks? Are they going to go out there and delete them and make big power? Or are they going to use emission-compliant tunes? Uh, you know, emission-compliant tunes doesn't make the, the big power that, that I know of. Um, and it may not necessarily be tearing up transmissions as bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the big unknown is, is you know, where's the power going to be tapped out with all the emissions on tuning and hard parts that are out there? And is that where most of the demand is going to be? Is it going to be six six fifty? Is the you just going to need a minimal amount of upgrades for the transmission, or is it going to be like the sixty eight RFEs where you know you go over four hundred fifty horsepower, you're looking at a whole built unit and maybe a billet input shaft and flex plate and everything else. So I think the market's kind of waiting to see you know where where's the majority of truck owners going to fall and where they're going to be happy with the power. Levels. Oh yeah, I mean they, these trucks I think are going to be able to hold six six fifty easy. I mean a sixty eight RFE belongs in a minivan, not a hot rod diesel. You know and that's why these people have to spend copious amounts of money on to get them to hold. Um, they're starting with a much better platform with I'm sure with this ten speed, the six R one forty, and all these are trucks that are out there. Uh, they they get a much better platform to work with. I'm going to say than the the sixty eight. So. I don't know that it'll be as necessary, but uh, time will tell. We just have to see what these tuners come up with and how much power they can make. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're hard at work seeing seeing what they can do, and it, it's always great to chat with you, Phil. And and like I said the last time I was chatting with Aaron, and gosh, I've known him for a long time, and he helped me a lot on my six seven way way back <laughs> when. And he goes, "Ask Phil about that race," and I said, "All right, I'll I'll ask him next time he's on the podcast." So well, I don't feel bad. He beat me, and he wound up winning the race. So I mean. If you're going to be a loser, at least lose to the winner, you know. So, uh, I haven't seen Aaron in quite a while. I used to run into him right regular, but I haven't seen him in quite a while. Well, we, we appreciate your time today, Phil, and glad you guys have, have been doing well and look forward to seeing these updates you guys are doing with the website, some transmission parts, and then some of this 10-speed this ten speed stuff when uh, when it starts to come around and, and seeing you know, what people want for power and what's breaking on the stock stuff. That's right. They'll find the limit. I have confidence in them. <laughs> <laughs>
Don't forget, Diesel fans, make sure and subscribe to the Diesel Podcast on YouTube if you want to get the episodes first. And if there's any questions or feedback that you guys have, we're always checking the comment section on there as well. And there's a lot of really good discussions and people who share stories of either parts or builds or just their opinion on what's going on in in diesel or performance or towing setups that work for them. There's a lot of great content there. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.